0: what's up what's up fans of the beautiful game welcome to episode 30 of the dkb footy show i am your host david Ballat, and i am here once again to talk about another action-packed week of football we've got a lot to talk about today from football over the weekend to midweek fixtures and to the closure of the january transfer window Going to talk about a few of the transfers there. But without further ado, let's start off with the results from the past weekend. And it was the FA Cup that we had as far as England is concerned. There was the FA Cup fourth round and a few fixtures there. I'm just going to talk about obviously the big teams in the Premier League and the fixtures that they had, the results that they had. Sorry. And start off with Arsenal versus Manchester United, which was by far the biggest match over the weekend in the FA Cup. And Manchester United got another impressive win away from home at the Emirates against Arsenal, defeating them three goals to one. What a game this was. This was a pretty interesting tactical match. Very very tactical from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He has shown that... There is more to his game than just attack, attack, attack. And this time around, United got a deserved win. They opened the scoring through Alexis Sanchez in the first half, created by Romelu Lukaku. Beautiful through ball that basically broke the Arsenal defense. And Sanchez did very well to dribble past the goalkeeper and to dink the ball into the back of the net. Made it 1-0 to United. And just a few moments later, same Same build-up from a counter-attack. Lukaku on the ball again. Lukaku passes to Lingard. And Lingard slots the ball coolly into the bottom right corner. Keeper had no chance. And 2-0 Manchester United. A very impressive start to the game. But then towards the ending of the first half, a cross came in and Obama Young just waited. And coolly shot the ball into the back of the net to make it 2-1 to Arsenal and that was really game on. Second half came in, and obviously Arsenal were trying to get back into the game and find the equaliser. So, so um, it was mostly them attacking and holding most of the ball possession. I wouldn't really say they created that many opportunities, but in terms of possession, they held a lot of the ball. And uh, Manchester United were just really looking for counter-attacking opportunities. Ozil was also brought into the in the second half to try and unlock the united united defense i don't know why he didn't start in my opinion he should have but emery really doesn't like this guy so he brought him in the second half to try and get that killer instinct that killer pass in the final third but to no avail and eventually Manchester united got another excellent counter-attacking opportunity this time around um alexis sanchez and um Alexis Sanchez and Lukaku had already been subbed off for, for Rashford and Martial, so it was obvious that United were just looking for the perfect counter attack to use the blistering pace of these two guys. But it was Paul Pogba who actually led the counter this time around. He made about at least a 30 to 40 yard run on the ball. No Arsenal defenders were able to close him down. He took a shot, which Czech was able to comfortably parry away, but the rebound. Was struck by Anthony Martial into the bottom, into the back of the net. Keeper had no chance. And 3 1 United, that was how the results ended. And United progressed to the fifth round of the FA Cup with Arsenal being knocked out. But wow, 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 what an impressive performance by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Once again, United played a beautiful counter attacking match. They well-deserved the victory I mean Sergio Romero was only called upon to make a few saves I remember distinctly only one big save that he made or about two one of which was a near post shot from Alexandre Lacazette and then there was another one where he had to tip the ball over but that was really it Arsenal didn't really create any more clear-cut chances to score and to equalize so United's defense were quite dogged they played well And they really showed the frailties of Arsenal's defense. But more and more plotted go to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who just continues to show that there is more to his game and who continues to make a strong case as to why he should keep the job on a permanent basis. Like, yeah, it was a really impressive victory. The only issue, though, is that in the next round, Manchester United has been drawn against Chelsea in the fifth round and away from home once again. They just can't catch a break in this FA Cup, away at Arsenal and away at Chelsea. If, if United manages to beat both of them, then there's no reason why they should not win this FA Cup. But the thing is, it's going to be very difficult because if you look at the schedule for United for February and March... They are basically going to play every top team in the league within those two months, including the Champions League. Both home and away fixtures are going to be played. They're going to be playing Chelsea both in the league and in the FA Cup. They're going to play Liverpool in the league. They're going to play City in the league, I believe. And yeah, this is a very tough fixture list. And um, well, they did very well to win all the matches that, that they had, all those easy matches that they had. When Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over, they've won all of those, so um, at least they put themselves in the best position going into this difficult transfer period um, this difficult fixture period. But if United gets out of this unscathed, that um, by unscathed, I mean still within touching distance of the top four, beating PSG in the Champions League, and beating Chelsea in the FA Cup then I'm sorry, but I'm going to be in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's camp for him to get the job on a permanent basis. But that's still a tough ask. We'll see how they are able to deal with that. Over to the next fixture, or the next result. It was Manchester City defeating Burnley five goals to nil at the Etihad. We had goals from Gabriel Jesus, who opened the scoring. Bernardo Silva made it 2-0. Kevin De Bruyne made it 3 Kevin Long helped out the city attack, as if they needed any help. But he helped out by scoring an own goal to make it four nil, and then Kun Aguero sealed the victory with a five uh, seal the five nil victory towards the ending of the match. And the goal aggregate for Manchester City since they last conceded a goal is has been nuts. I think this is like maybe twenty eight goals to zero now since they last conceded a goal. That's just absolutely crazy. But next match is. Possibly the biggest shock of the fourth round. And that was Crystal Palace defeating Spurs 2-0 at Selhurst Park. Spurs put out a heavily changed side. A heavily weakened side. They had the likes of um, Kyle Walker-Peters who had a stinker of a match. Um, Christian Eriksen was rested. A lot of people criticized Pochettino for resting him. But in my opinion, he should have been rested because he literally played, he started, I don't know if he played 90 minutes, but he started every single match in the winter period, which is the most difficult, exhausting period in Premier League football. And this guy started every match, we're talking starting a match in the Premier League every three days, at least, on average, that is just, that's just bonkers. So I don't really blame him for resting Ericsson. Maybe he should have put him on the bench, but he definitely shouldn't have started him. And really Spurs paid for this injury crisis that they are having at the moment. And as I said last week, I was saying that Crystal Palace had a very good opportunity of of progressing. If they put out a strong lineup and they got the win, and they did put out a strong lineup, and they got the goals from Connor Wickham, who had scored like his first goal in, in about two and a half years or something like that. He's been injured for a while though, so take that into consideration. And then Andres Townsend make it, made it 2 0 from the penalty spot after Kyle Walker Peters gave away a ridiculous penalty from a very stupid handball where he was not really under any pressure. So I don't know why he put his hand in that awkward position, but he gave the handball and he made it 2-0. Spurs had a lot of great opportunities to come back in that match. I remember there was a set piece where um, it was Trippier who took the free kick. Instead of hitting it for goal to try and score, he passed it cleverly to, I believe it was Nkudu, George Kevin Nkudu, who failed to get the ball into the back of the net he was just about two or three yards away from the from the goal it was just him and the keeper he just needed to pick the right spot but he hit it directly into the keeper's body and they filled the score and then they got a penalty as well not too long later on i believe this was still in the first half which Trippier missed he basically overhit it and it went into the stands but yes palace held on and got the two nil victory so once again in the space of a week, Spurs have been knocked out of two cup competitions in which they had very good chances of winning. They were knocked out by Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. Same issue with um, they had a heavily changed side because of all the injuries that they've been having. And Chelsea won that one on penalties. They did well to come back in that game because it was 2-0. They came back, but they went out on penalties because they had an absolute stinker of a penalty shootout. And then, once again, they've been knocked out of the FA Cup. So, it's safe to say that it's going to be another trophyless season for Spurs because they're not going to win the league. And it would take a miracle for them to win the Champions League, especially with this injury crisis. In fact, it would take a miracle for them to beat Borussia Dortmund in the round of 16. I really don't see that happening. So, it's really sad. But, once again, Spurs go another season without a trophy. And then Pochettino, in his post-match um, conference he basically said that it wasn't really a big deal, that it's just for romantic effects. It was for emotional effects that Spurs were trying to win the Cups. But really, the Cups don't matter. The only thing that matters is finishing in the top four and getting Champions League football. From a financial standpoint, I guess that definitely makes sense. But I must say, um, I don't really see how Spurs fans would be happy with with the quality that they have that they've had in players over the past few seasons. I mean, this is the best Spurs team that they've had in my lifetime, at least. And they have failed to win a single trophy to really show something for this excellent squad that they have. So from a fan standpoint, I mean, the money that they're going to get from Champions League football is not going to the fans' pockets. The fans are there because they are emotionally attached to the club. They want to see their club lifting trophies, no matter what trophy it is. So... I don't really see how that would have gone down well with the fans. But at the same time, he is right, really. Because, I mean, the amount of money you get from just qualifying from for the Champions League is almost, is, is infinity times more than what you would get from winning the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup put together, in fact. So, in terms of financial incentives, you can't really fault him in that sense. He actually was saying the truth, but... Spurs fans cannot be happy Over to the next result Was Chelsea defeating Sheffield Wednesday 3-0 At Stamford Bridge It was Iguain's debut He started the match And um, Chelsea got a very well-deserved win I mean, it was against Sheffield Wednesday So what else do you expect? Got goals from Willian, hudson Odoy, And Willian again He had a brace hudson Odoy scored in between He still wants to leave the club and I'm sure he would have done himself a lot of favours by scoring that goal. But it really doesn't make a difference to Sari because I don't really see Sari playing him in important matches, which is the exact reason why he wants to leave. He's not even going to play him in the regular Premier League matches. So I really don't blame him for leaving. I think he should leave. And if Bayern Munich can keep on handing in transfer bids, he should leave. He's already put in a transfer request. And I don't blame him because the fact that Chelsea already signed... Christian Pulisic must have been an indication to him that for the fact that they're signing a player around his age for so much money, it means that just takes him further down the pecking order. So he should leave. But he got the goal. Chelsea got the win. Iguain got a win in his Chelsea debut. He didn't get a goal, unfortunately. But maybe in the next match, Premier League match, he might get a goal. And um, yeah, Chelsea, like I said, Chelsea is going to be playing Manchester United in the next round. That should be a mouth-watering fixture. Both teams, I'm sure, they're going to be going all out to win the FA Cup. Even though Chelsea has other opportunities to win a cup because they're still in the Europa League. But this is obviously Manchester United's best opportunity to win a trophy, which is in the FA Cup. So it's going to be a tough fixture, I believe. But that's not until a few weeks' time. Over to La Liga over the weekend. And... Barcelona defeated Girona away from home, 2-0. They got goals from Nelson Semedo and Lionel Messi. And they are staying five points on top of La Liga. Real Madrid though, they are finally finding some form. Because they defeated Espanol, four goals to two, away from home. An impressive victory because Espanol is a very tough stadium to go to. And the goals there were scored by Karim Benzema, who opened the scoring. Sergio Ramos made it 2-0 through a header. And then Leo Baptistao made it 2-1 for Espanyol. So it seemed like a comeback was on. But then Karim Benzema scored another excellent goal to make it 3-1. And then Gareth Bale, finally returning from injury, came off the bench. And then basically with one of his first touches of the match, made it 4-1. And then um, Rafael Varan got sent off because I believe he fouled a player who was through on goal. So he made it 4-1. And then Quincy Promise, What am I saying? Roberto Rosales made it 4-2 to, um, for Espanyol. And it stayed that way. That's how the match ended. But finally, Real Madrid are finding a bit of a semblance of some form back off the victory over Sevilla last week, also winning in the Copa del Rey. And basically, they have now won five straight matches in a row. They've won three matches in a row in the league, and then they've won two in the Copa del Rey. I'll talk more about that later. But it seems like Real Madrid are finally back in some form. And we all know they always get back in form in the second half of the season because that is when trophies are won that is when the champions league especially is won so i don't know i'm still not going to rate them as champions league contenders but they are back in form and if they continue to go from strength to strength really who can bet against them they still have the players to win any competition that they put themselves into so i really yeah it's gonna it's going to be tough but they can definitely win the champions league this season and then the next match, we had Sevilla, who absolutely thrashed Levante five goals to nil. They got goals from Wissam Benyadet, Andre Silva, Franco Vasquez, Pablo Sarabia, and Quincy Promise. This has been Sevilla's first league win in four matches. They've really been in absolutely stinking form over the past few seasons. What am I saying? Over the past few matches. And... They got a much-needed win and a much-deserved win against Levante at home. Atletico Let's Go Madrid defeated Getafe, two goals to nil. No. They got goals from Antoine Griezmann and Saul, and they stay second in the league, five points behind Barcelona. They need to keep up the pace with Barcelona if they want to have any chance. They cannot afford any more slip-ups because if they do, then you might as well just crown Barcelona the champions of La Liga once again over to the Serie A over there there were a few tough fixtures a few very good fixtures on paper at least and one of which was Lazio against Juventus at the Stadio Olimpico Juventus got the win from a tightly contested affair which Lazio actually took the lead and Lazio took the lead through an Emre Chan own goal from a set piece And they created a lot of opportunities and should have made the match like 2 or 3 nil, but they failed to take their chances. And eventually, when you fail to take your chances against excellent opposition like Juventus, they will punish you. And that's exactly what happened with Juventus equalizing through Jao Cancelo. And then, in the dying minutes of the match, in the 88th minute, they gave away a penalty, a foul on Paulo Dybala, and Cristiano Ronaldo stepped up to slot the ball home and give Juventus the win. So Juventus stay undefeated in in Serie A and extend their lead to 11 points. If if anybody doubted that the season was over before, well, I don't think you can doubt it right now. It's over. And Lazio, on the other hand, they have fallen from, was it fifth or sixth place? But they're now eighth in Serie A. And that just shows you how tough the top four battle is because they're eighth, but they're just three points off of the top four, which is AC Milan is in fourth, and they're just three points off of AC Milan, but they're down in eighth. So that tells you just out of the, the Champions League qualification is going to be, because we've also got Sampdoria, who are in sixth, and they're just two points behind AC Milan, and Atalanta, they are seventh, and they are level on points with Lazio, who are in eighth. So the Serie A top four race is really where it's at this season. It's going to be exciting as the season continues to go on and to draw closer and closer to the end it's going to be interesting to see who makes it ace milan desperately needs some champions league football but roma have been playing the champions league for the past few seasons and they definitely don't want to lose that and um, the likes of Lazio are going to be looking to get back into it and then what a surprise it will be if Sampdoria or free scoring atalanta are able to make it into the top four. That would be quite the story for their fans. Over to the next match, and speaking of AC Milan, well, they faced Napoli at the San Siro, and that ended quite anticlimactically with a nil-nil result, which meant that AC Milan stayed fourth because of the other results, because the likes of Lazio failed to get the win. And also... AS Roma failed to get a win. They really, really fucked up in this match. They really blew it because they faced Atalanta away from home and they actually went 3-0 up at one point in the first half. Opened the scoring through Edin Dzeko. He got his first goal in a long time and then he got another goal to make it 2-0. Then Stefan El-Sharawi made it 3-0. But then in the second half, Atalanta gave a fight and they came back through Timothy Castagna. he made it 3-1. Raphael Toloi made it 3-2. And then Duvan Zapata, who is just the man in form for Atalanta, and in Italian football in general, he's been the man of form. Recently, he made it 3-3 and gave them the equaliser. And that's where the game ended. So what a massive opportunity that Roma missed to go into the top four. They would have leapfrogged AC Milan if they had managed to get the win. But they didn't. And they stay in fifth. And um, Duvan Zapata, though, he has been in form. And he has 15 goals in the league, which is joint second with Cristiano Ronaldo but overall what a crazy ass game this was and Roma will definitely feel hard done by because they failed to capitalize upon poor results from other contenders for the top four. Over to the Bundesliga and Borussia Dortmund have maintained their excellent form with a 5-1 thrashing of Hanover. They got goals from Ashraf Hakimi, Marco Reus who had a beautiful dinked finish, Mario Goetzer, Rafael Guerrero, and then for Hanover, Marvin Bacalos made it 4 1, but then Axel Witzel sealed the win to make it 5 1. So Borussia Dortmund have maintained a six point lead at the top of the table, and they are just free scoring. And this is, has actually been their best ever start to a Bundesliga season. So let's hope that they can maintain that at least until the end of the season. To give themselves the best opportunity to stay above Bayern Munich and to win the league once again, after was it like when was the last time they won the league? Was it like six years ago or five years ago? But yeah, they desperately need to win the league once again. Bayern Munich, though, they are hot on the heels of Borussia Dortmund with seven straight wins. And this time around, they defeated Stuttgart at home, four goals to one. Thiago opened the scoring and then eventually Stuttgart got an equalizer through Anastasios Donis, I believe this guy must be Greek, and then um, Christian Gettner scored an own goal to put Bayern Munich back in the lead, Leon Goretzka made it 3-1 and Robert Lewandowski made it 4-1, so they are staying hot on the heels of Borussia Dortmund and the title race is far from over. This is now seven straight wins for Bayern Munich and my oh my, are they looking much differently from the way they did at the start of the season? So now all bets are off with Bayern. They can go all the way in the league and in the Champions League as well. Liverpool fans will really be sweating because they don't really like they will not be happy to see how Bayern Munich have been able to recover the way they have. In League One, PSG defeated um I believe was it Strasbourg? Yeah, they de- they defeated Strasbourg four goals to one. They got goals from Cavani. Mbai Niang made it one one. Then Angel Di Maria made it two one. Killing Mbappe made it three one. Sorry, it was Ren. It was that Ren that they played. Di Maria made it two one. Mbappe made it three one. And then Cavani made it four one. So we got a brace from Cavani and a goal from Mbappe. Mbappe is still the top scorer in league 1 with 18 goals and Cavani is second with 16. They are 13 points above and that is just crazy but very very sad news for PSG because it has been confirmed that Neymar is going to miss both legs of the round of 16 fixture against United He has been rolled out for at least 10 weeks, which means he will not be back until the second leg of the quarterfinals if they make it there. He has injured the same metatarsal in his right foot that took him out at the same period last season, which almost rolled him out of the World Cup, but he eventually made it back. And there were fears as well this time around that he'll be out for the season, but he's made it. But he's... Hopefully, he's going to be back for the Champions League quarterfinal second leg if they make it. But something interesting: this is actually going to be the fifth straight season in a row that he's going to be injured when during the period when it's his sister's birthday. His sister is uh, his her birthday is going to be, I believe, March eleventh, and this is five straight years in which he has some way somehow managed to get injured when his sister is celebrating her birthday. I don't know if this is intentional or what, but it's interesting. That's really odd. And then another headline from Ligue 1, Seary Henry has been sacked by Monaco. And guess who they brought back? They brought back Leonardo Jardim, who they sacked earlier in the season. I really don't know what is going through the heads of the guys that are in charge of Monaco, but it definitely cannot be anything like I don't, I don't, yeah, like the the thinking that goes into their heads must be something, something to behold. Because I don't see how you can sack a coach, appoint a new coach who has zero experience to come and help out a team that is in their relegation zone. And then you sack that coach after he has made some signings that are supposedly supposed to turn things around. And then you... Go and rehire the same coach that you sacked at the beginning of the season. What the fuck is that? Like if Monaco gets relegated, the owners have themselves to blame and nobody else because this is just shambolic transfer business. This is just shambolic management, and it 's really sad for Terry Henry. It was always going to be a very tough ask to for a manager with no experience to take over a club that is bottom of the league and for them to survive i mean yes monaco have good enough players to survive they obviously have one of the best squads in the league but still it's tough for a new coach to go into that with no experience and i get that the thinking behind hiring henry was because he was a he's he's a former monaco player i believe he started his career at monaco but still that really is not enough and um Yeah, he's gotten sacked, and I think it's going to be tough for him to find another job. And at the end of the day, once again, great players do not make great managers. I don't know why, but that just seems to be the trend. Not everybody can be a Zinedine Zidane or a Pep Guardiola or a Franz Beckenbauer. It's really tough for you to transition or a Johan Cruyff. It's tough to transition from being a world-class player to a world-class coach. And Henri is just the latest to fail at doing that. And then over to the midweek, the midweek was just absolutely nuts. The midweek results were just crazy. There were a lot of shocking results from every single league or every competition that was played, starting from the Premier League to the Coppa Italia. And I'll just say there were just giant killings all over the place with big clubs being upset. And it was not more evident than in the Premier League. And one of such results was Liverpool at home against Leicester. They were held to a 1-1 draw at home against Leicester City. The game seemed like Liverpool were going to tear Leicester City apart because they opened the scoring. Literally, within the first five minutes, they opened the scoring through Sadio Mane. And everybody would have been like oh, yeah, from there, like, it's it's just going to be a walk in the park for Liverpool. But it wasn't the case. And eventually, there was a penalty shot for Liverpool, which was not given from a Maguire foul on, on Mohamed Salah. And then the same Harry Maguire scored a header to make it 1-1 to Leicester. Second half came in, and Liverpool were just not sharp in the attacking third. They failed to create any excellent opportunities, and the game ended as a draw. However, I would say Liverpool fans, they definitely felt hard done by in this match because of the officiating. There were a few penalty calls that were not given their way. I just talked about the Mohamed Salah opportunity in the first half. and the second half, there was another one with um, Nabi Keita. He was basically through on goal, one-on-one with the keeper. And um, Pereira, the lusted defender, kind of clipped his left leg. And took him down, but the referee was having none of it. And also, I didn't really see this challenge, but a lot of are arguing that Maguire should have been sent off for a foul on Sadio Mane. They say that he was through on goal. And um, he was through one-on-one on on goal. Clear goal-scoring opportunity and Maguire took him down, but he was not sent off. I think he was just given a yellow card. So Liverpool fans and Jurgen Klopp are definitely going to be unhappy because they lost the opportunity to once again go 7 points clear at the top of the table. But now they are 5 points clear at the top. And why is that? That is because another giant killing happened with Manchester City. They lost away from home against Newcastle United. Just like the Liverpool match, it seemed like Manchester City were going to walk all over Newcastle at the start of the match. Literally in the first minute, like within 24 seconds of the match, Kunagüero opened the scoring for City. And usually we all know how it goes. When City gets an early goal, it, the, the floodgates just open and the opposition just cannot recover. But that was not the case. City made it 2-1. And uh, sorry, City made it 1-0. But then they just failed to kick on from that. They created a few other opportunities that they failed to score from. But then Solomon Rondon got the equalizer for Newcastle through a set piece, very well taken um, shots. And then from there, it just seemed like the Manchester City players had given up. Like you could just tell from their body language that... You could just tell from their body language that they were just... Um, that they felt that they had just been blown. Like they just had a punch to their guts. And they just did not recover from there. And it was Newcastle who actually pushed on and made it 2-1 through Matt Ritchie, a Matt Ritchie penalty. This was caused by shambolic play. They were just trying to play up from the back like they always do instead of clearing the ball. And the ball was given to Fernandinho, who took too much time on the ball. Eventually, he was dispossessed by a Newcastle player, and he ended up fouling the Newcastle player in the penalty box, and that gave away a penalty, which Matt Ritchie... Coolly dispatched to give Newcastle a 2 1 win. And City are just not looking as um, ruthless as they did last season. They just don't know how to win ugly, it seems. I mean, um, last season, I really can't count how many matches that they won through last minute goals. I remember Sterling, especially. He scored so many last minute goals for them. In which it was either that they were losing or they were, um, or it seemed like they were going to get a draw, but then, literally, in the last second of the match or the last minute, they will just get a goal and get the win. They have failed to do that on numerous occasions this time around. It seems that whenever they go a goal down, their confidence is just hit and they just don't know what to do. So, City lost the match, but they will count their blessings because Liverpool failed to defeat Leicester even though Liverpool have extended the lead from four points to five points it could have been seven and if it had been seven points I would have been like yeah the season is over but they still have a very good fighting chance to win the league still so I don't think City fans should be should be too disappointed they still have a shot and then Tottenham Hotspur Talking about winning ugly, this is what these guys have done since this injury crisis um, hit them. At least as far as the Premier League is concerned, in other cups they've failed to win matches. But in the Premier League, they have gotten back to back matches, back to back wins since Hurricane and Dele Ali got injured and since Son left for the Asian Cup. Well, Son was back for this match and he definitely started the match, obviously, because they really don't have any options. And it was Watford who actually opened the scoring through Craig Cathcart in the first half. And then in the second half, they managed to get an equaliser through Son. After missing a few chances, Llorente missed an open goal opportunity, but he rectified that with a header in the, at least in like the last 10 minutes of the match, he scored a header to give Spurs the 2-1 win. And what's a result that was for them because in in a weekend where almost every other big team dropped points they managed not to drop any points and they got the win so they have are firmly in the top four now and um how much did they miss son man son is just an excellent um, part of this team and they really really missed him for the few weeks he was gone and he really helped the team this time around but Spurs are just finding, it, finding ways to win. They're just finding ways to win in the Premier League. And if they keep doing that, I will keep continuing to give Pochettino the plaudits that he deserves. And then over to perhaps the biggest shock of the midweek fixtures, at least as long as, as far as the Premier League is concerned, this was by far the biggest shock. And it was Bournemouth defeating Chelsea four goals to nil. Four goals to nil. Well, that was just crazy. They opened the scoring. Well, in the first half, it was really a cagey affair. Both teams created some decent opportunities, but they both failed to score. Once the second half came on, though, within two minutes of the second half, Josh King opened the scoring for Bournemouth. And once that goal went in, Chelsea players' shoulders just dropped. Their heads were down and they were just out of it. They had no fight in them whatsoever in this match. This was Gonzalo Higuain's Premier League debut, but he failed to even make an impact in this match. And eventually, not too long after the first goal, David Brooks made it 2-0. Not too long after that, Josh King made it 3-0. And then coming off the bench, Charlie Daniels scored a header to give Bournemouth a 4-0 victory over Chelsea. Is their first victory at home over Chelsea in about like 30 or 40 years and it was a very well-deserved victory for Chelsea now what's happened sorry it was a very well-deserved victory for Bournemouth not Chelsea and Chelsea are now out of the top four because they Arsenal have overtaken them Arsenal are now in fourth Chelsea are in fifth And that's because Arsenal has scored more goals than Chelsea. They have the same goal difference of 17, but Arsenal have scored more goals. And scored goals takes precedence over goals conceded. So Arsenal are in fourth place in the league. Chelsea are in fifth. And um, Maurizio Sarri once again criticised his players. Reports say that after the match, he actually kicked out all the coaching staff from the locker room before addressing his players, he basically kicked out all of his coaching staff and addressed the players for about 45 minutes straight. And I'm pretty sure he must have given them some good hair dryer treatments over there. And he faced a lot of criticism for the fact that he kicked out his coaching staff because what does that say? What is that indicating to the coaching staff? That is basically telling them that they're not as important as they should be because, I mean, they are part of the team. They are part of the they 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 are basically as important to the team's success as the head coach is so why would you kick out your coaching staff including Gianfranco Zola who is his assistant coach he kicked him out too why would you do that because you want to address your players what can you say in front of your players that you cannot say in front of the coaching staff I mean, the coaching staff are obviously the intermediaries as well between the players and the coach. Whatever a player feels that like he cannot directly say to the coach, he is obviously going to go and say it to a member of the coaching staff so that he can relay that information to the manager. so what does that say to the players as well that the coaching staff are getting kicked out? That means that the players should not have any respect for them, which is inevitably what's going to happen so I really don't see the sense behind this. This has been a trend for Sari ever since Chelsea had this dip in form where they started losing a lot of matches and not performing well. And then after the match, he also criticized... In the post-match conference, he criticized the players. As usual, he's still saying that he's baffled at the fact that he cannot motivate these players, that they don't follow his instructions. And he also criticized Higuain, saying that Higuain is out of shape which maybe he is, but still, I don't think that's the perfect time for you to be criticizing any players right now. And he should be careful, man. I don't know, maybe he did not watch any of the season when Mourinho got sacked, because this is exactly what happened. We all know Abramovich is the most trigger-happy owner in the Premier League. He will sack you within a moment's notice. So he should be wise, man. He should really, really be careful and really know that he's walking on eggshells in this Chelsea team. But that being said, they are still they still have a fighting chance of staying in the top four. They still have a chance of winning the Europa League, so their season can still be salvaged. But that 4-0 thrashing, though, that, that was nasty, man. That was nasty to watch. It was ugly to watch for Chelsea, man. I'd really feel bad for their fans. But then, speaking of Arsenal, who have leapfrogged Chelsea, well, they did that because they defeated Cardiff City 2-1 at the Emirates Stadium. Um, Aubameyang opened the scoring for Arsenal. And then Alexandre Lacazette made it 2-0 with an excellent solo run and a finish. And then in the dying minutes, I think this was like the 95th minute, Nathaniel mendes Lang made it 2-1. And that's the way the game ended. So Arsenal are now in fourth. Despite them also being in very poor form, they have overtaken Chelsea. And then Manchester United at Old Trafford against Burnley. Well, they have dropped their first points under Olegona Solskjaer. Basically, the match ended 2-2 against Burnley. Burnley actually opened the scoring in the second half. The first half was a pretty cagey affair. First half, really only had one clear-cut opportunity and that fell to the feet of Marcus Rashford. In all fairness, he definitely should have scored the goal, but he completely scuffed his shot and hit it off-target. And in the second half, well, Burnley defended with their lives. And in the second half, they got a moment of luck when Andreas Pereira, don't know what he was doing, but at the edge of the 18-yard box, he was playing around with the ball and he was dispossessed. And basically the Burnley players just had to pick a pass and finish the ball, which they did. It was struck right into the roof of the net and Burnley took a very shocking 1-0 lead over United. And then later on in about the 82nd minute, um, United created a few opportunities to score. Tom Heaton, once again, I don't know what it is with him when he's in, the, when he's in Old Trafford, but he literally turns into... when he's in in Old Trafford. And he stops every ball that comes to him, which is what he did. He made a lot of saves. And the Burnley defenders in general, they were dogged. They made sure that they cleared every ball that came into the box. They kept their shape very tightly and really did not give United too many opportunities. And eventually, they made it 2-0 through a Chris Wood header. But then five minutes later, Jesse Lingard came on and he was brought down in the penalty box, penalty for United, and Paul Pogba stepped up with the slow run up as usual. He stepped up to score to make it two one. And then five minutes later in the ninety-second minute of stoppage time, in the second minute of stoppage time, Lindelof got a rebound and made it two two to United. They failed to create any more opportunities and that is the way it ended. So that has been the first setback under Olegona Solskjaer. But it must be said that the team showed a lot of spirit to be able to come back and get the draw. And um however, I see a lot of fans online on Twitter, especially saying that under Mourinho that would have never happened. But as usual, football fans have such short memory spans because we all know that the United had a lot of results like this this season under Mourinho. If you remember the Newcastle game, exactly the same scenario. In fact, they came back and won the match that, that time around. So they had a few opportunity, um, a few games like that. Look at the Chelsea match. They were also a goal down. They came back to make it 2-1 and were really unlucky to concede that last-minute goal. So I disagree with them saying that they would not have shown this spirit under Mourinho. But that being said, at least, they did it under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and that shows how much they want to fight for him. And Burnley, on the other hand, Burnley are just Manchester United's bogey team, especially at Old Trafford. At Turf Moor, they have no issues with beating Burnley, but at Old Trafford, they just seem not to be able to beat them. This is three seasons in a row now that United have failed to defeat Burnley at Old Trafford. Three years ago, they lost. Burnley won one nil, another Tom Heaton masterclass. This guy was like unbelievable in that match. Last season, same thing. They were winning 2-0 and it was Jesse Lingard who came off the bench to make it 2-2. That's where it ended, and that's where it ended again this time around. So Burnley, I don't know what it is, but there is always that team that the bigger teams in the Premier League just don't know how to beat. And for United, that's Burnley, it seems. So United are still stuck in sixth position. I mean, even if they had won the match, they would have still been in sixth, but they would have been level on points with um, Chelsea and Arsenal. We should have really, really made the top four battle that much more exciting. But they are just two points off the top four. So there's still a lot to play for. Coppa Italia quarterfinals were played, and there were a few shocking results in that match. None the least was the result of Atalanta defeating Juventus three goals to nil. That was the biggest shock of that round. Atalanta got the goals from Timothy Castagne. Duvan Zapata got a double and it was a very well-deserved victory for Atalanta. Juventus did not play shit in this match. They did not deserve to get the win. Atalanta fully deserved the win and it reflected in the performance. Juventus did just just did not play well at all. I didn't really watch the match, but I watched the highlights, and I didn't really see Juventus creating any clerical goal-scoring opportunities. Um, Juventus, though, they have a few key injuries, which is really no excuse for them to lose 3-0 against Atalanta, but they had um, Bonucci. Bonucci's injured, Mazzucic has been injured, and... Marilyn Pjanic had been injured. He came back off the bench for this match, but he's he'd been injured for a few weeks. And um, these are some pretty key injuries, especially in the attack. Mandzukic, whenever he plays, it seems like Ronaldo plays a lot better with him than with um, Dybala and Douglas Costa. And uh, yeah, and it seems like when Ronaldo doesn't play well, Juventus can't win. So they're looking more and more like a Ronaldo FC team, which is just not good for them. AC Milan defeated Napoli two goals to nil. And the two goals came courtesy of Christoph Piantek, their new signing. This guy is looking more and more like a bona fide top-class striker. He has scored on all his debuts this season. He scored four goals in his debut for Genoa. He scored two goals in his debut for Poland. And he has now gotten two goals in his debut for AC Milan against Napoli. The guy seems like a legitimate goal scorer and he seems like he has solved the striking issues of AC Milan. You know, over the past few seasons, AC Milan have made a lot of signings up front, but none of them have been able to perform up to the standard which has been expected. We look at Andre Silva, who left this season to go to Sevilla. He's been playing well for Sevilla, but he failed to score any meaningful goals for AC Milan. Gonzalo Higuain, a proven world-class goal-scoring striker, he failed to score a lot of goals for AC Milan, but then Christoph Piatek has been able to, so maybe this is a sign that this guy is genuinely a a player to watch for the future. If he keeps going like this, he definitely is. So, but it's good for AC Milan though they are through to the semi-finals, and Napoli are knocked out. I'm surprised though because for Napoli to be knocked out because Carlo Ancelotti he's a specialist in winning cup matches, not so much in winning leagues, but in winning cups he is quite good. So it's really surprising to see that he lost to AC Milan. But again, it was away from home. AC Milan are good opposition, so it's not really that surprising. And then another absolutely crazy result was Fiorentina defeating Roma 7 goals to 1. That was a big shock. I wouldn't necessarily call this a giant killing because Fiorentina are a good side. And it's not like Roma are full of world-class players from head to toe. But to lose 7-1, that's an absolute shock. They cannot be pleased with that result, but that's the way it ended for them. They lost 7-1, and really poor result for them. And Fiorentina, on the other hand, they are through to the semifinals as well, which is good for them. And then there's Inter Milan. They drew 1-1 against Lazio, but they lost on penalties. Lazio went through 4-3 on penalty shootouts. So Lazio, Atalanta, AC Milan, and Juventus are through to the semifinals. And the fixtures are going to be AC Milan against Inter. AC Milan against Lazio and Fiorentina against Atalanta. Then the Copa del Rey quarterfinal second leg was also played. And over here, there were no upsets whatsoever. Barcelona recovered from a 2 0 first leg defeat against Sevilla to thrash Sevilla six goals to one. Coutinho opened the scoring through a penalty kick. Sevilla missed the penalty to make it 1 1, and they were punished by um, Rakitic, who made it 2 1. Coutinho made it 3 1. Sorry, made it. Th- Rakitic made it 2 0. Coutinho made it 3 0. Sergio Roberto made it 4 0. And then Guillermo Arana made it 4 1 to give Sevilla some hope because they would have just needed one more goal. To take the I don't know if there's away goals, but if there aren't, then they would have forced extra time, but they were not able to get the second goal, and they conceded more through Luis Suarez, who made it five one, and then Lionel Messi got the icing on the cake through uh, making it six one, after some beautiful football. I mean the way they displaced the whole defense of, of um Sevilla in that attack. That led to the sixth goal was just absolutely mesmerizing to watch. Sevilla, though, they will be very disappointed that they lost so heavily. Having a 2-0 lead going to the new Camp, I mean, it won't be easy, but surely they could have approached that match with a better tactical plan. The coach should be highly disappointed with this result because they definitely should have done better and should have given more of a fight to Barcelona. And then the other match, well, they had Girona losing 3-1 against Real Madrid. Real Madrid won the first leg 4-2 and won the second leg by the same margin 3-1. Karim Benzema got a brace. He has been in form. This is now four goals in the last two games for him. And then this guy called Poro, he got a goal for Girona to make it 2-1. Then Marcos Llorente hit a, a well-hit shot from the right-hand um, edge of the box into the left-hand corner. And that sealed the win for Real Madrid. So Real Madrid go through to the semifinals of the Copa del Rey for the first time in a very long time. And we could have a Copa del Rey semifinals classical or a finals classical. Either of them, I would not be disappointed. But we'll see. So that's about it for the football action that took place over the over the week and then let's just talk very briefly about transfers. So the transfer window has been shut in most parts of Europe. I believe there are still a few leagues that are going to be shut that um, whose transfer windows are going to be shut this night at midnight. But so far the biggest transfers that took place were Paredes the guy, Leandro Paredes, who Chelsea had been heavily linked to to be the replacement for Fabregas, well, that transfer never happened, and it was eventually PSG who were able to get his signature. This guy is, has a lot of potential. PSG fans are quite happy with the signing. I think it was about €35 million euros, or was it €40 million, euros, something like that. And he is a central midfielder, and he is going to be able to plug that gap that they have in midfield because they don't have that much quality in midfield. Really, only Marco Verratti is like the only world-class midfielder that they have. They've had to convert someone like um, Julian Draxler into a midfielder, which is not his preferred position. He's either like a number 10 or a winger, but he basically plays central midfield for them. And surely, I'm sure this guy is going to improve the midfield and we'll see how he's able to gel with the team. Sandro Wagner left, um, ha, he has left Bayern Munich and he has gone over to China. He's in Tianjin, Teda. Dennis Suarez has gone to Arsenal on loan until the end of the season. I really don't see if, I don't really don't know if Arsenal really needed this transfer because they've already got Lucas um, Torreira, they've got Matteo Guendouzi, they've got Granit Xhaka, who are all midfielders that are of the standard of Denis Suarez. I wouldn't really say Denis Suarez is that much better than any of them. I really think that Arsenal's issues are actually in defense and that's where they should have strengthened, but they didn't. And yeah, they eventually just got Denis Suarez on loan till the end of the season. Pretty sure they have an option to make it a permanent transfer. We'll see if they do that eventually. But yeah, that's um Denis Suarez to Arsenal. Let's see how he plays for them. And then Barcelona also signed um, this defender from Toulouse. forget his name, but he's obviously just there to add to the squad depth. And then for Manchester United, well, Anthony Marcial has committed his future to the club and signed a contract extension up until 2024. There were a lot of fears that he was not going to renew his contract, especially when Mourinho was still there. But now that Solskjaer has come back and we've had this turnaround in form, Martial has decided to stay, and he has put pen to paper. So I, as a United fan, am very happy to have seen this, and I'm sure United fans all over the world are so happy to have seen this news. So that's really about it for transfer windows. And that's about it for this week. Thanks, guys, for listening. As usual, you can catch me on social media, on Instagram, at dballots. that's D B A L A T. On Twitter at DKBallot. That's d k b a l a t. I appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy the weekend. And I will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.